When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions on friends who sell products, whether or not it's polite to be the social media grammar police, who toasts to whom, and how to test the waters with friendships that start as business relationships. All that, plus your feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment for job seekers, coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont, by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we're finally buried in snow. I'm so happy. Absolutely buried in snow. And it's kind of the most beautiful day ever. That's what I'm saying is, like, Vermont is Narnia in the winter. Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, northern New York. Like, there is something about snow on evergreens and just this feeling like you have been blanketed. And it's – I love it. I love it. so. It's so beautiful right now. It's a little counterintuitive. It almost feels warm. The, right? the The language of blanketed is so appropriate. It feels like everything's cozy and there's this fluffy white comforter that's laying on top of everything. And it's just beautiful. And oh. after two days of pretty steady, consistent snowfall, there was like this sort of gray with just a persistent, steady snowfall yeah. for maybe two days. And – this morning, the sun came out. The sky is blue with white, fluffy clouds. I mean, it was stunning. I looked out the window, and there was golden light mm-hmm. on beautiful snow-covered boughs with a blue sky in the background. And I was just like, yeah, okay, this is heaven. What? I have to go in and record the podcast? Oh, okay, that's my second favorite thing compared to this. <laughs> so there's a certain I'm release around all of no, that. there is. But there's also a couple of days where I found myself very <laughs> much like hunkered down oh, yeah. with oh, a yeah. fire going and routine trips outside to yes. reshovel the the porch, the driveway, where you're losing ground as you're out there. The snow's oh, piling oh yeah. up oh behind yeah. you as you move your way down the walkway. <laughs> but uh, it was also sort of nice to just be posted up and, and, and doing home ha, things ha, ha, also. Posted up. Sorry. I love it when we get to make jokes like that. I agree with you. No, doing home things. I spent the whole weekend pressure cooking and preserving and canning things. It was like... I'm talking vegan chili, southern Rio stew. By the way, I took about four of my Blue Apron recipes and totally used them to can and preserve. And so I did their spicy pepperonata pasta sauce that I loved. I did the 
mushroom bolognese that I loved. I did Jamaican curry chili. I did a ramen broth so that all I have to get the the noodles and stuff and dump it right in Mm -hmm. and boom, I've got yummy, delicious vegan ramen broth. It was so good. And I'm feeling good about the the pot of chicken soup I made and got in the fridge. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I did a whole (laughs) store's worth of food. I think I'm like, I'm not preparing for an apocalypse or anything, but, you know, we're preparing for catastrophic. Why can't I say the word? Catastrophic occurrences? Catastrophe. Catastrophe. There we go. Brain is not functioning. I'm only two-thirds done my coffee. <laughs> I have a good excuse. We still have, and it looks similar, our freezer has the, the very well-organized like stacks of frozen Tupperwares nice. and uh, from the mother-in-law visit where we got so well taken care of oh, recently. Oh, so I don't need to give you some of my jars from my store. <laughs> no, but we're, 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 we're almost coordinated meal trans style <laughs> at, at, at this point where we've got like scheduled deliveries from neighbors. So remarkable. Talk about community. Talk about support from your community. But we, we can almost anticipate, you know, today the, the Sharon Wilson lasagna is going to show up. Oh, and that's so nice. To not have to think about food when you have that new baby, that's such a great... I know there are times when people do sign-up sheets and all kinds of different things Mm -hmm. to organize. We've talked about a few of these things on the show before. But I love just hearing that your community is literally calling you up and saying, what day can I drop off a lasagna? Like, what works for you? That's just so nice. Pinch me. Yeah, right. (laughs) So speaking of sharing... Yes, We've got some listener questions. We do. We should probably share them and answer them. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so we know you want it on the show. Our first question is a voicemail question. So thank you so much for using our new telephone number, Erin. Erin has a friend who uh, she isn't too close to who tries to sell her products. You know, they often host parties for their friends where then they can be exposed to new products. Some people really love it. Some people aren't such a fan. Let's hear what Erin has to say. Hello, my name is Erin Burrow, and I'm from South Dakota. I have a question about friends who are selling products even when they're really passionate about them. I have a friend who just three days after Christmas sent me a message via social media asking if I could meet up with her to talk about a skincare line that she's really excited about selling. This is really an acquaintance of mine, not someone I know terribly well, but I'm happy to keep up with her a little bit on social media. So it was a little odd to me to get a message from her out of the blue. This is not the first time I've had a friend want to sell me a product that they're really interested in. Uh, it doesn't happen terribly often, but I always feel bad because I like finding products on my own, things that I'm interested in. I don't mind hearing about them, but I don't like the hard sell tactics that happen sometimes with some of these companies. And I think I'm not the only one. So I was wondering, how do I respond to requests via email or via social media in a way that's positive but really gives them the idea that I'm not interested? Any help you can give me would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. Certainly feel Aaron's dilemma. That's a tough one because you want to meet up with a friend, but you also want to say, hey, I want to meet up with you, but I'm not interested in, in product right now. I'm really happy with what I've got. What do you think? How would you phrase a response? And, and these are via social media, and this isn't your best friend. So 
little more delicate. A best friend, I feel like you could tell, like, hey, girl, come on. You know I'm not into this. Like, let's just go for coffee. <laughs> I think our master of sample scripts, Lizzie Post, just gave us the no. two. No, seriously, all, all kidding aside, I think those are two really solid sample scripts. I think that for someone who you're not as close to, I think something that responds and, and acknowledges the invitation itself. That you don't ignore the invitation. Okay. You know, here's someone who's connected to you. There's enough of a social connection that they feel comfortable reaching out, inviting you to do something. I think you, you could choose to just ignore it. But I think that social courtesy doesn't require but says, you know, there's not a huge cost to acknowledging that invitation even if you're going to decline it. And you can always decline. That's always an option. Uh, a good no is an important part of your social skill set. I'm so sorry. I'm really busy this week or don't use the busy excuse because I know, I know my cousin Lizzie doesn't like it. <laughs> uh, I don't have time this week or thanks so much for offering. I'm not available that day. Whatever whatever it is, whatever is the appropriate yeah. reply that's the honest and true reply. Yeah. Um, you can also say, you know, I'm, I'm interested in seeing you. I'd love to get together for coffee. I'm not likely to be interested in the product. And I'm going to just cut you off. I'm going to do the rude thing and interrupt and say, that's my favorite line for this because it addresses both issues. It says, I still want to be your friend and I want to do friendly things with you, but I have to admit, I'm okay with the products I have now. I'm, you know, excited to hear about how much you love your new job, but I'm probably not going to be your best target audience for a sale. I think that that is appropriate and reasonable because there is something to this type of marketing that can trade on a social pressure as well. That because there's an established social connection, it becomes a really good avenue to introduce that product. And for some people, this is a great way to get the products they like, (laughs) to get exposed to new things and to socialize. And There are some people who are very comfortable with sales. And I'm thinking of someone that we worked with for years who was an absolute delight and really changed my perspective on the sales process. She used to talk about, I like to give people opportunities. And she really thought of it that way. It was such a light approach that she had. It was positive and gentle. And she did not mind or care if people said no. There was something very light about the way she gave you the opportunity to be exposed to whatever it was she was selling. And and she was a good charity fundraiser. She was a good salesperson. She was honest, I think, in her approach. And it it made it easy for people to say yes when they wanted to say yes and no when they wanted to say no. And it, it made me feel more comfortable as someone being approached by salespeople to say yes or no and to, and to not feel like that was a fraught answer. Right. It feels fraught on, on our end because we aren't the one getting the no's all the time or the yeses all the time. Your friend probably has people who have said yes, probably has people who have said no, is going to have to get used to this in her life and figuring out how to balance the acquaintances and the friends that are going to say yes and the ones who are going to say no. So in some ways, I think you do a disservice to a friend if you're saying yes all the time but have no intention of ever buying this product. You're wasting her time and yours. Puts a strain on the social relationship. Yes, it does. Absolutely. And so I think that there's a really good reason to say I'd love to get together, but I'm going to be honest, I'm all set on beauty products. I'm not a fan of this type of sales, the kind of like friendship sale. It doesn't work for me. However, I said yes to one of these invites one day and sure enough, discovered a brand I really like that I have purchased from. So I have learned in my own world to say yes to one invite. And then once I've experienced or understood the product, then I say, you know, I really appreciate that it's working for you. It's not something that I found I connected with, um, but I'd love to get together for coffee. I also liked your second answer, the friend that you were a little more familiar with. Your oh yeah, your good friend. Yeah. 
we talk about the benefits of honesty, of being a tenet of good etiquette, that consideration, respect, and honesty. We say it all the time, and it's easy, I think, sometimes to forget about how powerful that honesty component can be in a relationship. Yeah. And if you've got um, a friend in your life who has earned that sort of unvarnished honesty yeah. that you can really, some people say, keep it real with each other, then I think that the relationship can really be served by that. And I think most salespeople will tell you that they like the honest reply the most because it gives them the information they need to be good at the the job part of what they're doing as well as the social or the relationship part of what they're doing. Absolutely. And I will say that if you're getting these requests, Aaron, as just a Facebook party invite, you can say no to those, like an event invite. You can say no to those without any explanation, without any anything. Um, you can always reply, as Dan said, to an email by saying no. But if people are reaching out for that one-on-one where it's just you and them, I would give that a real response and then with your reasoning. I say no to all kinds of Facebook invites all the time. I don't even think about it, but I do reply to the invite. You just made me think of one other thing Please, that I'd like yeah. to expand on, which is it. that if this is something that's persistent, that's yeah. happening again and again and again, I think it's okay to set up a clear social boundary. It's okay to let a friend who's um, part of a direct marketing company or several direct marketing companies know that you are not a good person to be sending these invitations to, that you mentioned, you know, I, I think of myself as someone who's not interested in these types of things usually. And I think that if you know that you're never interested in these types of things, you can set that boundary and set it ahead of time and help them cull down their list a little bit and and not have to go through the process of trying to continue to sell to you when you're not a likely customer. I think that's fabulous advice, Dan. So there you have it. You can either decline all the time <laughs> um, or you can go every now and again. Uh, with those direct invites that come specifically to you, we do think that it's important to state your view. My suggestion is always to potentially be open to a new product or something you haven't heard of yet, but you absolutely do not have to be. Keep it clear and keep it consistent with your friends, and you're both going to maintain that friendship and understand where the two of you rest in that business world together. Best of luck, Aaron. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. 
Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our next question is about the social media grammar police. Hello, Daniel and Lizzie. I recently discovered your podcast, and I absolutely love it. You are both so gracious, and your advice always makes good sense. And I've been listening to it regularly and have gotten to episode 32. 32 is a lucky number for me. Nice work. (laughs) I apologize if you have already discussed what I'm about to ask, but I'm anxious to hear what you have to say about this topic. Like many people, I enjoy reading a variety of blogs. I truly appreciate the work that these people put into creating what is essentially free content for my consumption. I have noticed that it is extremely common for blog readers to publicly point out grammar mistakes and or spelling errors that the bloggers make. I have a really difficult time understanding where they are coming from with this. Are the etiquette standards different as the reader could be considered a consumer rather than a friend or acquaintance? Is there standing to make the correction? Obviously, this is not their child or employee. Also, the comments frequently are accompanied with compliments, kissy icons, or smiley faces, presumably to soften the blow. This dynamic just adds to the impression that they view the relationship as a friendship and still find it appropriate to make the corrections. I've been tempted to comment and correct them on their poor manners, but realize that would be completely hypocritical. (laughs) I have no desire to make anyone feel bad. I just want them to consider that they might be making the bloggers feel bad. Is there anything that would be appropriate to do in these situations? Sincerely yours, Catherine. Catherine, I love that you're asking this question. I really do. And I think you might find if we give our very personal answers, I think you will discover Dan is a firstborn child and I am a second of two, so second and lastborn child. And very stereotypically, Dan invites all of these as a way to show yourself as someone, as a way to fix any mistakes, mm-hmm. nip it in the bud, deal with it right away. Hooray. Thank you for catching that. I, on the other hand him oh my gosh you found a mistake I'm so embarrassed don't tell me about it don't rub it in my face don't do all that correcting that us youngest hate so very much and I think it's just so funny that the two of us because we've experienced this often mm-hmm. when corrections get sent into things that we've written or things on the website I'm always like ah they found a mistake the end of the world and Dan's like oh fabulous let me go fix it right away and so I want to give voice to those two personalities I love how you connect this to birth order. I know. (laughs) So enough about my own personal uh, birth order issues surrounding it. Clearly you've hit on something here, Catherine. (laughs) But I do think that what Catherine's talking about is like the broccoli on the tooth of the internet. It's Ooh. So here's a community that, that reads you regularly. Some of them are going to be the nitpicky, the, the picker, the person who says, mm-hmm. oh, you got that wrong. But I think more so most of them are in that category of, oops, I just read a typo. I know even when I'm reading big news organizations and I read a typo, I'm always a little disappointed because uh-huh. I'm like, you're a writer and you're doing this for a learning. You mess that up. And I'm disappointed yep. when we have that happen to us. But I think that it's a little broccoli on the tooth and to treat it in that favorable way of, oh, thank you for for helping me not embarrass myself. I don't know if you want to really put that kind of language on it, but that's the the feeling I'm getting. No, I love the broccoli on the tooth analogy. I think it's a perfect place to apply that kind of thinking. If you can 
address an awkward or difficult situation and save someone a little future embarrassment down the road. That's what we we say when we talk about the broccoli on the tooth rule. It's often a good idea. It's often appreciated. And I definitely like the way you're looking for (laughs) clues here. And those those little emoticons, those smiley faces, those winks. I think for a lot of people, they're meant to add that emotional content that says this is meant in a good spirit. This is meant in a lighthearted way. And it, it, it illustrates well, though, how um, difficult it can be to read emotional content. <laughs> and I, On just I, text, I'm yeah. reminded of our advice to be careful about emoticons and emojis and business communication because people don't always know how to interpret them, particularly right. relationships that aren't as well established. This is a perfect example about how that ambiguity well, it's very um, can funny be tricky. Because yeah. these two people, a blogger and, and the blogging audience they're writing for, are very connected for being total strangers. And that's a fascinating place. But what I will say is that that much like broccoli on the tooth, what you don't do at the dinner table, hey, Bob's got broccoli on his tooth. Bob's got broccoli on his tooth. Smiley face, Bob. Just want to let you know you got a little something there. You want to do the gentle, the quiet, the most private version of it. So apply that to the internet age. My thought is that you need the internet age, the internet world. Mm -hmm. My thought is that you need to contact the blogger privately. Is there an info at to email to? Is there a way to direct message the person? Is there a way that you can do this without announcing it to the whole audience? That would be my first choice. My second choice would be to comment on the article and give your thoughts, give your give your actual feedback. And then you might at the very bottom, maybe in parentheses or something like that, just write something like, hope this is helpful. Third paragraph, fourth sentence. You've got roost the squash as opposed to roast the squash. And that might be a way of like identifying what what's going on, but also recognizing that you read the article, you had thoughts about the article, it was about the article. Article and here's just this extra little hey, by the way. And I'd, I personally, I'd leave the emoticons out of it. I'd try to take it to be as simple and clear but positive as possible. I don't know. Maybe I'm being emoticon hater right now. Not too much. Okay. I, and I like the detail there of giving a little bit of information that's going to help make the correction. I think that puts it in that context of positive help as opposed to just critique or or someone being overly or publicly critical in a way that's inappropriate. It's um, not uncommon for me to get a, a, a note about a misspelling or a typo on our website, yeah. which is big, voluminous. It was thousands of articles. We've culled it down. We're now at hundreds of articles, but it happens. Those typos, they happen. They do. Um, you misspelled civility on your website is not helpful to me. <laughs> if you can give me the URL, the page that it's on. There is, the location. It makes that comment helpful. <laughs> it's a big difference to a comment that just feels critical or snipey. I also really like the way Catherine's looking for cues and is giving a little latitude around free content. I would feel very differently about a typo that occurred in one of our printed works than I would about a typo that occurred on a blog that we're putting out every day. And that is a a rapid publication schedule that's happening all the time. And we do our best in all situations. But that printed book really is different in my mind than the web content. We do our best to be good in all aspects of what we do, but some places just it's practically more possible to maintain a higher standard than other places. And I really appreciate it when the people that read our content have an understanding of that as well. And I appreciate Catherine's perspective here about that. In terms of how to deal with other people when you see other people doing it, to me, that's a just don't go there. There's just no point. 
I think that it just starts a back and forth with another anonymous person out there usually that you can then it's it's mudslinging and it just starts to go. And I shouldn't use the term mudslinging for this because you're not really slinging mud over actual typos that are helpful to be corrected. But at the same time, it's like it's just what Catherine said. It'll sound hypocritical. It'll sound like you're doing the thing you're calling someone out for doing. And like all good etiquette, this question comes back around to a little self-reference, to a little look at oneself and I love the way that this question comes back to that. Well, what about me and my behavior and my impulse in this situation to do something very similar? And how appropriate is that? Because that is so often the really appropriate place. That is where you do have the standing. I love the use of that language to address etiquette. You always have the standing with yourself and you rarely do have the standing with other people or it's less common that you have that standing with others. Dan, wrap up this question for me by telling me what this note means. Foster Wallace book tour questions. What is this? I I was fascinated when I saw this added to the show script. Uh, David Foster Wallace, um, author of some note when he was doing the book tour after Infinite Jest, has talked about how at the end of readings, public readings, there is a something he's noticed that he gets asked questions. And he often noticed that the questions that he was asked had a certain tone, that people would ask questions about his writing in a way that was sort of demanding and that wow. it was part of the the nature of the format that people wanted to ask questions, but that... It it both in a personal way felt very challenging. And I think it's similar to to this situation where someone's trying to be helpful. They're trying to participate. They're trying to be a part of the work. And for the person who that work is a really personal thing that they've that they've done, they've invested in. It can feel like someone who doesn't have a lot of standing is really challenging that work, even if it's just a typo. And th- th- that was sort of I a totally more serious example this. of it. Yeah, I know. I get I get that. It's like you've just put it up. You've just finished it. And oh, my gosh, already mm-hmm. <laughs> the wolves are after me on technicalities. Exactly. And at the same time, let's we will just remember that unlike his his readings where the tone felt accusatory and the tone felt demanding, um, a smiley face with, hey, you messed up the word for. Like it, you know, I, less less severe, less severe, and people are trying to be nice about it. Definitely. And we we do understand that the use of the emoticon is to try to soften the blow. Um, just sometimes it it comes across as too cutesy. Too, what is it you call it? Too cute by half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and to to remember that not everyone receives those emoticons as as such. But there's certainly a way to try and add that softening um, so that you don't get that feeling of demanding or that feeling of of accusation right afterwards of of putting something out there. Catherine, thank you so much for a great question. Clearly you have um, hit on something that matters to Lizzie and I. (laughs) Lizzie and me. Oh, clearly you have hit on something that matters to both Lizzie and me. Did you plan that grammar error there? You're being cheeky with your grammar, aren't you? (laughs) Something like that. No, 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 that was a total mistake. Okay. So in honor of this week's snowstorm, which will be last week's snowstorm by the time you hear this, uh, we have a wonderful question that I have targeted for my cousin called Frozen Pipes. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I love the show and I'm so happy my friend turned me onto it. My commutes are even more elevated. Thank you. Well, last night after bagpipe practice, the band usually heads down to the pub to raise a glass. My buddy Sam had ordered a round of small batch bourbon and while waiting for the round, he asked me if I've heard of Blue Apron. I said, oh yeah, they sponsor one of my favorite podcasts, Awesome Etiquette. Etiquette Awareness Elevated. Thank you very much. 
So as the glasses rose and my mouth was opening for a toast, I froze in a moment of consideration and said, hey, whose toast is this? Sam was stunned. What is the etiquette here? Is it your toast because you paid for the round? Is it open to whomever gets the toast in first? Do I ask permission to toast on his round? Would love some advice. Best, Frozen Pipes. It's a great question, right? Whose toast is it? Okay, it is Frozen Pipes. First, I have to acknowledge bagpipe practice. I know. That was awesome, right? I I, uh, went to Harwood Union High School, home of the Highlanders, so definitely awesome. I graduated to bagpipe music from my high school alma mater. I did not know that. Very cool. Home of the Highlanders. I know, right? From a nice, like, high mountain town in Vermont. I love it. Did you all get to wear kilts on your your, sports teams? No, but we had a yellow and black tartan was our sort of school colors. Oh, I love it. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Enough about Harwood. Back to Frozen Pipes. What a great question. Right? This is a question that, for me, lands squarely in that territory of the informal toast, where there aren't as many um, set rules. In fact... I encourage people to seize the opportunity of the informal toast. It's a great way to build relationships. It's a great way to honor people and events and moments in time. If it was a more formal situation, I would pay much more attention to the order of the toast, who's doing what when, the host leads, the guest of honor does not drink, offers a reply toast after the host has offered the initial toast. There is a a structure to formal toasting. There is in some communities diplomatic protocol that has to be observed around formal toasting. And the origins of the formal toast go back to the Middle Ages. We could and should at some point, and think we may even have at one point, done a postscript on toasting. So, but in a bar after bagpipe practice serving bourbon, let me try to get that again. But after bagpipe practice bourbon at a bar, yes, I said it, does not quite equal formal toasting rules. No, it doesn't. And I What I do like here are the instincts, though. We often say around informal toast, everyone can stay seated. Anyone may lead. You don't necessarily need to all touch glasses even. It can be a big table. I like to say make eye contact with everyone before you drink. You don't need to toast with alcohol necessarily. I like the idea of asking permission to toast on someone's round, having some awareness of who's paid for the round. To me, that's a a nice little detail, but I think it's one that that you could play with a little bit. Say, hey, I know you paid for this round, but I would love to offer a toast to so-and-so on an incredible season or practice or... Could you toast Sam for buying the round? You could toast Sam for buying the round. I like that. There are very few rules on the informal toast. It's about consideration, respect, and honesty. It's about seizing the moment. It's about a celebratory spirit often. So I might put a little structure around it. And I might say that I would, if if that round was purchased by Sam and Sam, you know, brings it over from the bar and sets the glasses down or something, or the server comes over with everything and, and everyone knows Sam's purchased this round, I might allow Sam the opportunity by just seeing whether Sam takes a first sip. Okay. And I would say Sam might give him the opportunity to, before everyone takes their first sip, say, hey, cheers to a great practice, everybody, something like that. That's a toast, believe it or not. So cheers. you don't scoop the toast. Exactly. But if Sam just raises his glass and takes his sip, then I would open it up to say, hey, I would love to cheers you know, to a great practice or toast to so-and-so on a great week or whatever it is. Because then Sam's kind of passed over the opportunity to have that first toast because the sip has already been taken. I like that idea. 
because it definitely gives Sam the opportunity. Also, without there being a rule, this being an informal toast, it doesn't matter if you toast mid-glass. Exactly. In fact, you could toast several times over the course of a glass or a round. For every drink. You absolutely could. (laughs) I mean, and by drink, I mean every sip. (laughs) Another thought that I had about this situation is, is there going to be a second round? Is there going to be a round that you're paying for? Maybe you wait for the round that you pay for, and that's the moment of opportunity when that round arrives or when you come back to the table with drinks for everyone. You say, I'd like to start this round with a toast to... Sam, the season, the team. Whatever it is. The awesomeness that we're (laughs) celebrating tonight. The podcasts we share with everybody. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I love the idea of getting toasting more into your informal everyday life. I like the fact that you're thinking about it, Frozen Pipes. I like the fact that you're gathering with friends and have the opportunity to give toasts. Real living courtesy has made the evening a pleasure and a success. This question is called Friends. Check yes or no. Dear Lizzie and Dan. Wait, can't you hear the country song? Check, yes. No? Okay, I'm not going to try to sing that on the air. Um, but there's a song that it's like, like, will you love me? Check, yes or no or something. It's adorable country song. I have notes that I wrote in elementary school. Rachel, do you like me? Check, yes or no. Oh, so cute. Dear Lizzie and Dan. First, thank you so much for your amazing podcast. I've been an etiquette enthusiast ever since my parents gave me Tiffany's Table Manners for Teenagers as a preteen getting ready for my first trip to New York City with some decidedly fancy dinners ahead. And I realized being well-mannered could mean not just being polite, but also good-humored. So thank you for all the wonderful insight, advice, and humor that you bring into so many tricky situations. My husband and I recently bought a new house and were referred to our co-realtors by family. Through the home-buying process, we found that we absolutely loved spending time with them, so much so that we really would like to continue to see them as friends now that our professional relationship has ended. We, of course, realize that it is their job to get along with clients and that they meet many people, but it really did not seem, based on many conversations, that our feelings are one-sided. However, it still raises the question, how do you move from a professional-client relationship to a friendship? We have already talked to them about inviting them and their significant others over for dinner once we're all moved in. But what is the best way to communicate that this is not a professional courtesy, but instead a gesture of friendship? I'm aware that bluntly saying, we want to be friends, might be very elementary school. But I'd love to know how to organically remove any barriers that they might feel through our being clients first, and to be sure we're actually on the same page. Thank you for your help. Best. Can we be friends? Please check yes or no. (laughs) Please check yes or no. I think it is really smart of you to be considering right from the get-go whether or not this is just people who are really great at sales or whether this is a real connection. And I can hear you hear like, oh, there were just too many conversations where we had the same interests and likes and things like that. That self-awareness is always a good sign. And it's definitely evident in this question. Absolutely. But it sounds like you're probably in some pretty safe territory here. Some things to think about are how excited were they getting about the topics that you thought you had in common? Mm -hmm. You know, was this you the one saying, oh, yes, we all love tennis and they just kind of nodded and smiled? Or were they 
they really, you know, saying, oh, my gosh, I know and we have this doubles team, but we're really looking for new players. That would be my indication that someone was kind of trying to say, yeah, come on, take the bait, take the bait, bite, say, yes, we, we play and we're looking for people to play with. Something like those types of conversations would make me feel comfortable thinking this person does want to engage outside of our business interactions with one another. But if they're just kind of nodding their head and I'm not saying this is what was happening to our listener, but for other people who might be in this situation, if you're just getting head nods and agreements, those aren't necessarily indications that someone is really on the same page in the same interest category as you. Would you say that's fair? Tough to judge, but... Yes. Adult friend dating is hard. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It is. The sales process, buying a home, is a a natural time where you're going to build some rapport with the person that you're working with. You're talking about big deal things. Personal things. Personal things, life dreams, ambitions, uh, finances, what's possible in your life. It's a strange word to apply here a little bit, but a certain intimacy to really participating in that process with someone. And it might be a real moment of opportunity, a natural moment, both to get confused about how close you are with someone or to actually get close to someone and start a new friendship or relationship. And I think that Lizzie's sort of looking at that first moment of opportunity here that it seems like a very natural one, that invitation to come over when the sales process is over as as being a natural moment of opportunity. Yeah. I'm also hearing a, a little bit of hesitation about not projecting too far forward. Yeah. And I was thinking when I was reading this question about how it, it seems like the first step is the table is set. Yeah. Pun metaphor intended. The the, <laughs> the, the, the first dinner is 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 good. The invite's been made. Is going to happen. It's going to be a, a natural place. The spouses yeah. being invited is going to start to expand yeah. um, the nature of this relationship from that client relationship to more of a friend relationship. But I hear that looking for the cue of reciprocity yeah. that I think is going to be really important. You might have one more invite that follows this one. But after that, you might want to let them take a step at some point back towards you. Right. I think I would probably move in the territory of you've already offered this dinner for the realtors and their spouses. So I would have that happen. And then what I might do is rather than immediately at that dinner, try to set up maybe like a one-on-one coffee with one of them or a, a lunch date or something like that, I might instead invite both couples to a party, maybe not a housewarming party because you've kind of already invited them to a celebrate the new home party dinner with them. But I would invite them to a backyard barbecue or, you know, some other gathering that you're having. Include them in that social fold. And then during the party, when I'm talking to them, that's the time, I think, to, to suss out whether or not they're going to want to get together one-on-one. And that's where I might say something. If I'm having a great conversation with one of these two folks, I might say something like, oh, you know, I've so enjoyed getting to know you. Would you be interested in grabbing coffee or going for lunch or something like that or dog walk or pick a low stakes but one-on-one type thing and see if they bite? If they do, I would say you're probably in great territory to say, okay, we're social now because all the business dealings have closed. They've come to two social engagements and now are accepting an offer to a one-on-one social engagement. I think that's a good territory of beginning a new friendship. If they didn't say, oh, I'm really busy, if you start getting a little bit of the pushback when you invite them to that one-on-one thing, probably a really good indication that they could be a big party social part of your group, but not a one-on-one type friend. I like the example of the walk the dog together. Something activity-like. Is there... 
shared activity that is going to provide a basis for a future friendship or the idea that maybe there's people who like to go to dinner parties. That can be the basis for future friendship. Is there going to be a venue for this friendship once the sale process is over? And you're only going to know that by trying it out, by getting together a couple times. You got your first date. (laughs) So I say go and enjoy it and try not to let the nerves of that first experience. And I I love the way those nerves are kind of tacitly acknowledged by the way this question is signed. Right. um, Intrude too much. And again, where we started this question was talking about the self-awareness that we see in the way you ask this question. I'm sure that self-awareness is going to hold you in really good stead as you start to suss out this new relationship. So whether it's a few party and big gathering get-togethers or whether it's a direct ask, by all means, I think that it is okay to seek out friendship from someone who you've engaged with professionally, but to be cautious. And we think you're doing a good job of that. And because your manners are showing all the time, they have a lot to do with how well people like you. We so appreciate the questions that you send every week. There would be no show without you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You can send us your next question, update, comment, or etiquette salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or you can leave us a message, and we so appreciate hearing your voices at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want it on the show. Let's delve into some feedback. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions that we answer and the topics we cover, and we love hearing updates if your question was answered on the show. This week, we're going to start off with Maureen, who called in with a suggestion for the couple from episode 126, who had a neighbor with a new baby whose dog was pooping on their lawn, and uh, the neighbor wasn't too sure if it was reasonable to ask the new parents to pick up the poop. It was definitely a good question. It spurred a lot of suggestions, but I thought this was an interesting one from Maureen. Hi, this is Maureen from Oregon, and I'm commenting on the show that I'm listening to today. I don't know what number it is. It's about the little dog next door where the new baby lives that's been using your lawn as their bathroom. Because of the new baby, these people are probably really stressed, and you certainly address that. As a dog owner, it's such a hassle if you move into a place that is not properly equipped for a dog, which means you need a fence. You don't want your dog running free anyway because you don't want to have a flat dog, or not everybody's nice to pets. So as a dog owner, I have these things around the house all over the place that I can move. It's like a temporary playpen for a dog called an X-Pen. You can go down to the pet store and buy one. They usually have about six panels. They're different heights. And I must say that I immediately jumped to this in my mind when I heard the dog was small. I actually don't have small dogs, but I use X-Pens all the time. You can buy two of them and hook them together. It makes a pretty good-sized yard, and it certainly keeps them corralled if they're outside and you are not watching. And, of course, all the poop will happen inside the little fence. As a dog owner myself, if this happened to me, I would probably take one over and say, here, I'm setting this up right here for you, and I can loan it to you for a month, and you can go down and get one, and this will help you out. And it'd probably really take a load off of them. 
I don't know that I'd go buy one unless these were, like, going to be permanent neighbors and it would be my baby gift, maybe. <laughs> A couple neighbors, something like that. Anyway, these kind of dog playpen yard things do exist, and they're pretty simple. You can just fold them up and put them in a closet. Anyway, I hope that helps. I know a lot of people just don't know of all the toys out there for the care of cats and dogs, and uh, I was thrilled to death when I discovered this thing. Thank you. Bye-bye. Maureen, thank you so much for that suggestion. I love how in your answer you thought about how this was something that was useful for you. It could be used for a lot of different types of dog owners. And I love the fact that there was a suggestion of here you could borrow mine. Um, I'm not sure that the the person who wrote in had a dog, so that might not work this time. But I love the idea of it as a potential baby gift that could be helpful. You have to watch out a little bit as to how the, the couple would interpret that. But at the same time, I think the idea is here I'm trying to find solutions that will make it easier for both of us. And that's a sentiment that you always want to communicate. Maureen, thank you so much for these suggestions. We heard another comment about the same question. It begins, Hi, Lizzie. I had thought about the poo on both your houses question. It takes six to eight weeks to physically recover from childbirth. So the new mother will be unable to bend over to pick up the dog's poo during that time frame. And the new father will be taking care of all the other chores on his own. So the neighbor might consider giving them a compassionate free pass for about six to eight weeks. Best, Casey. Casey, as a new parent who's <laughs> becoming familiar with both actually how physically taxing it is for mom. I was going to say, deal, dealing with this, are you? <laughs> um, and, and some of the added uh, work that, that falls on pop. Yeah. I really do appreciate your perspective here and, and your generosity on that free pass thought. And I think at the time that our listener had written in, it had been a month. So we were getting close to that six-week mark, but not there yet. And I like the idea of... See if you can handle picking it up for about two weeks, and then maybe you can go over once we're in kind of more familiar territory, more body is ready to handle some tasks territory. I thought that was very considerate. Finally, we have an update from Millicent, who had written in about a nosy receptionist whose questions about Millicent's reason for canceling an appointment went a bit too far. And here is Millicent's feedback. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Okay, I know that Dan is most likely on paternity leave right now, but it didn't seem right to not include him in the email anyway, Lizzie. Thank LOL. You. <laughs> anyway, I have an update and I wanted to share some feedback. I wrote you several weeks ago because I had to cancel a mental health appointment and had felt that the receptionist had started out well but veered into what felt like nosy territory. First, I so appreciated what Dan said about a wheelchair being an extension of the person using it, almost a part of their body, because it is so true and something I myself had never thought of that way before, even though I use a wheelchair. Thank you, Dan, for giving me a new perspective. And Lizzie, I did use the option of just answering the questions this time around. But I will definitely be keeping your sample language filed away in my head for future use just in case something like this happens again. Thank you. Now for the feedback. I think the subject of people with disabilities visible and non-visible, and the etiquette of how to interact with people with any kind of disability is a very important topic. Is there any way at all that either an episode of the podcast could be devoted to that or a segment added to the show that could be done once in a while that discusses this? Thank you both for all of the advice and help that you both gave me. It was very much appreciated. Best, Millicent. Millicent, thank you for your question, for giving us the opportunity to talk about this 
this topic. I love how you mentioned disabilities, both both visible and non-visible. It is easy to forget sometimes about the non-visible, and and bringing that to our awareness is so important. It really is an opportunity for us to talk about some of these issues. So we appreciate your giving us that opportunity. And I appreciate the call for more information about this subject. We certainly look forward to tackling this in future postscripts. And I even like the idea of a show maybe at some point dedicated to a topic like this. So thank you once again and stay tuned. Such great feedback. I love our listeners. I love that they continue to engage with the show. So thank you for participating and sending your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. And now it's time for our postscript. Where we delve deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's postscript takes us to the job search and what to leave out of your resume and cover letter. This information comes from our book, The Etiquette Advantage in Business, third edition. Dan, let us know. What is What should we not be including when we're looking for a job? I know we so often talk about what to do, what to do. What to, sometimes it's important what you don't do. <laughs> sometimes it's important the thing that is left unsaid. It's a very important part of etiquette. And in professional context, it can be particularly important. So this comes from page 50 of our book. And it's a nice reminder that often what is left unsaid is as important as what you do or what you say. And we so often focus on what to do and what to say that I think sometimes we forget about the the discretionary element of good etiquette as well. So what to leave out. Page 50. As important as knowing what to put in your resume is knowing what to leave out. Just as you want your writing to be concise, the style and content of your resume should also follow the classic dictum, less is more. The word resume. Putting this at the top of the page is not only unnecessary, but also takes up precious space. The same applies to the line, references available upon request, which is generally understood. I love this idea. I love this concept. In wedding invitations, there's a certain aesthetic to economy. And I think that aesthetic also applies to resumes. And I think it's a, a well said. References. Don't add these to the resume or cover letter itself. List them on a separate page and hold onto it until references are requested. A photo. You want to be hired for your mind, experience, and accomplishments, not your looks. Of course, your photo on social networking sites makes adding a photo moot. This is a really good reminder that the way that you represent yourself online is really important. People are going to Google search your name. If you have a headshot that you're proud of, that you like, that you want as part of your LinkedIn profile, we oftentimes suggest that as part of getting a profile to completion. That's a place that many people do job searching these days, and it's a place where many people reference people who they're looking to get work from, too, to find out more about them. And I want to jump in here and just say, have your photo match the style of the industry, the culture of the industry that you're trying to operate within? I would not expect a graphic design artist to have, you know, three-piece suit on in their photo, very serious face or something like that. But I might expect her or see more of that in a lawyer position or something like that. And so you might just consider the field that you're operating in and how will this photo represent you business-wise. A lot of people nowadays go for the, this is the best photo of me. And they don't think about the fact, but is this the best professional photo of you? Not taken by a professional, but the best one correlating to your industry and who you are within it. So, of course, having an awareness of how you appear online is important, but definitely don't include that picture on the resume itself. Personal statistics. 
Don't list strictly personal information that is not related to the job, such as age, height, weight, marital status, or health. Your GPA. At some point, usually five years after your graduation, leave off your college accomplishments and your GPA, even if it was a 4.0. Use your own discretion. A 40-year-old would seem foolish, noting that he served as president of his social fraternity, but a 21-year-old with limited job experience should include such an accomplishment because it demonstrates leadership skills. Really good reminder. Finally, salary needs. Avoid including salary needs unless the advertisement you're responding to specifically asks for them. In that case, include them in the cover letter. Your resume is never the place to broach the subject of salary. Oh, I like it. I like knowing what not to do. I don't want to be making these mistakes. Nice find, Lizzie Post. As we're digging through the etiquette advantage in business, I'm oftentimes pleasantly surprised at the little nuggets that jump out at us. That was a good little nugget, and we hope that it serves you all well if you happen to be searching for a job. Each week, we like to conclude our show on a high note with an etiquette salute to a piece of good etiquette that someone has seen in the world. Today's salute comes from Megan, who has a salute for Zach, a clerk at her local grocery store. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My name is Megan. I am a longtime loyal listener calling you from Chicago. I find myself reciting your etiquette pillars before proceeding in a sticky situation, and I've noticed everything turns out better when I'm doing so. So thank you for improving my everyday etiquette situation. Today, I am so happy to be calling you with an etiquette salute. I am a mom with two young children, and I frequent our local grocery store, Mariano's, very often, sometimes two, three times a week, and usually with one or both of my kids with me. Mariano's, like many grocery stores, has these larger carts intended for kids that look like cars in all different colors. The problem is there's only about 10 or so of these carts, and on heavy traffic days, finding one can be tricky. And as many people with three- or four-year-olds know, not finding that anticipated green car cart or purple car cart can ruin a shopping trip and maybe even put a damper on the whole day. So at Mariano's, there's one employee, his name is Zach, who I've come to think of as the car cart whisperer. He always seems to know where every color is hiding and will gladly find one for you. I've had him run out for me and in the snow and the rain and the negative four-degree weather to help me out. And my kids and I stay warm, and I don't have to drag them back outside. And he'll bring whatever cart we need, and he'll wipe it off and make sure it's clean and dry. And I've seen him, if he's he's in the parking lot and he sees a mom with young kids, he'll even hand-deliver a cart without being asked. And he always does all of this with a huge smile on his face. I know that this is definitely above and beyond his job description. And he's honestly the reason I always shop at this particular store. So, Zach, here's my salute to you. Thank you so much for your kindness and consideration. You have saved both my sanity and my family's dinner many times. Thank you so much. You know, we go back to Cindy Post's setting last week talking about the different developmental stages. And when you're that young three or four year old and your day is sometimes that grocery trip with mom to the store, that might be your outing for the day. That green cart or that purple car cart might be a really big deal. And their world is very small. And to watch someone really take care with that and honor that rather than dismiss it, because as we grow up, we know that it doesn't really matter if we get the green car cart or any cart at all. 
all. But having someone who understands the, that mindset of a four-year-old and understands that a mom would be really grateful to have this kind of a service and this level of attention, boy, that's someone who's really thinking about their surroundings and the people within them. Absolutely. Thank you, Megan, for the salute. And thank you, Marianos and Zach, the Carcart Whisperer. You might call him an eager beaver. You know he would do his share of the work and help others who needed help. And thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something or recorded a voicemail for us. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette from the Emily Post Institute. And please help us out. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine, and our awesome etiquette intern is Michaela Baranoff. <laughs>